are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes over 2,500 pages by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. If you would like to discuss today's reading, I invite you over to Facebook to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group. There you'll be able to interact with other listeners and followers and share your own comments and reflections on today's reading. Now, let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria teaches how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 171. We are reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 21. Paragraphs 613 to 618. 613. Some such sentiments were also expressed by St. Joseph. Then the Heavenly Mother, falling upon her knees, awakened the sweetest infant and took him in her arms. Jesus, in order to move her to greater tenderness, and in order to show himself as true man, wept a little. O wonders of the Most High, and things according to our judgment so small! Yet he was soon again quieted, and when the Most Holy Mother and St. Joseph asked his blessing, he gave it to them in visible manner. Gathering their poor clothing into the casket and loading it on the beast of burden which they had brought from Nazareth, they departed shortly after midnight and hastened without delay on their journey to Egypt, as I will relate in the following chapter. 614. I will here add what I have been made to understand as the correspondence of the two Gospels of St. Matthew and St. Luke in regard to this event. For since all of them wrote under the guidance and light of the Holy Ghost, each of them knew what the other three had written and what they had omitted to say in their Gospels. Hence it happened that according to divine predispositions, some of the happenings of the life of Christ and of the Gospel were described by all four of the evangelists while, again, some other things mentioned by one were omitted by the others. St. Matthew describes the adoration of the kings and the flight into Egypt, while these events were not mentioned by St. Luke. He again describes the circumcision, presentation, and purification, which are omitted by St. Matthew. Thus, St. Matthew, after referring to the departure of the Magi immediately, without speaking of the presentation, relates that the angel appeared to St. Joseph, commanding him to fly into Egypt but does not follow therefrom that the child had not been presented before that time in the temple. For it is certain that this was done after the departure of the kings and before the flight into Egypt, as is narrated by St. Luke. Thus, likewise, although St. Luke, after describing the presentation and purification, immediately mentions that the Holy Family lived in Nazareth, we must not conclude that they had not before that time lived in Egypt. He writes nothing of this flight into Egypt, either before or after, because it had already been recorded by St. Matthew. And this flight took place immediately after the presentation, before Most Holy Mary and Joseph returned to Nazareth. 
As St. Luke had received no commission to write about this journey, it was natural that, in continuing his history, he should mention the return to Nazareth immediately after the presentation. To say that having fulfilled what the law commanded, they returned to Galilee was not to deny the flight into Egypt, but it was merely continuing the narrative without mentioning the flight from Herod. Even the very text of St. Luke intimates that the return to Nazareth happened after their sojourn in Egypt. For he says that the child grew and increased in wisdom, and that grace was manifested in him, which could not have been before. He had passed the years of infancy. Hence it must have been after his return from Egypt, and at an age when the use of reason usually begins to show itself in children. 6.15 I was also given to understand how foolish it is in the infidels, so incredulous to stumble against this cornerstone of Christ, even in his infancy and to take offense at seeing him fly to Egypt in order to defend himself against Herod. As if this were on account of his weakness and not a mystery, and as it happened for no higher purpose than to defend his life against the cruelty of a wicked man. For the well-disposed souls, the words of the evangelist are amply sufficient, since he says it happened in order that the prophecy of Hosea might be fulfilled, who prophesies in the name of the Eternal Father. Again, I called my son out of Egypt. The ends which he had in view in sending him there and in calling him thence are most exalted and mysterious. Of these I will say something anon. If not, all of the doings of the incarnate word are equally admirable and sacramental. Yet no one with the same judgment can dispute or ignore the sweet providence of God in directing the secondary causes while allowing full liberty to the human will. For this reason, and not for want of power, he permits so many idolatries, heresies, and other sins, which are not any smaller than that of Herod. For this reason, he permitted the crime of Judas, and all those who followed in the sufferings and crucifixion of Christ. Certainly he could have prevented all these sins, and yet would not, not only because he wished to work our redemption, but also in order that he might secure to man freedom of his will in all his actions. He was ready to give men the helps and graces according to his divine providence, whereby they could accomplish the good, if they would only use their free will to attain it in the same degree as they were using it to follow evil. 6.16 In the sweetness of his providence he gives sinners time, hoping for their conversions, as is the case in Herod. If he would use his absolute power and perform great miracles for preventing the course of secondary causes, the order of nature would be confounded, and to a certain extent he would contradict himself in his double role as author of grace and as author of nature. Therefore, miracles must happen but rarely and on special occasions, for particular reasons or when some end is to be served. Therefore, God reserves them for the manifestations of his power at certain times. He makes himself known as the author of his works by bringing them into existence and preserving them independently of creatures. Neither must we wonder that he should consent to the death of the innocent children, which Herod murdered, for it would not have been to their benefit to save them through a miracle, since by their death they were to gain eternal life together with an abundant reward, which vastly recompensed them for the loss of their temporal life. If they had been allowed to escape the sword and die a natural death, all would eventually not have been saved. 
The works of the Lord are just and holy in all patriarchs, although we do not always see the reasons why they are so, but we shall come to know them in the Lord when we shall see him face to face. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 6.17 My daughter, what thou must especially learn from this chapter is that thou accustom thyself to humble thanksgiving for the benefits which thou receivest, since thou, among many generations, art so specially signalized by the riches of grace, with which my son and I visit thee without any merit of thine. I was wont to repeat many times this verse of David, What shall I render to the Lord for all the things that he hath rendered to me? In such sentiments I humiliate myself to the dust, esteeming myself altogether useless among creatures. Therefore, if thou knowest what I did as mother of God, consider what then is thy obligation, since thou must, with so much truth, confess thyself unworthy and undeserving of all thou receivest, and so poorly furnished for giving thanks and for making payment. Thou must supply thy insufficiency and thy misery by offering up to the Eternal Father the living host of his only begotten Son, especially when thou receivest him in the Holy Sacrament and possessest him within thee. For in this thou shouldst also imitate David, who, after asking the Lord what return he should make for all his benefits, answers, I will take the chalice of salvation, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. Thou must accept the salvation offered to thee, and bring forth its fruits by the perfection of thy works, calling upon the name of the Lord, offering up his only begotten. For he it is who gave the virtue of salvation who merited it, who alone can be an adequate return for the blessing conferred upon the human race and upon thee especially. I have given him human form in order that he might converse with men and become the property of each one. He conceals himself under the appearances of bread and wine, in order to accommodate himself to the needs of each one, and that each one might consider him as his personal property, fit to offer to the Eternal Father. In this way he furnishes to each one an oblation which no one could otherwise offer, and the Mosai rests satisfied with it, since there is not anything more acceptable, nor anything more precious, in the possession of creatures. 6.18 In addition to this offering is the resignation with which souls embrace and bear with equanimity and patience the labors and difficulties of mortal life. My most holy son and I were eminent masters in the practice of this doctrine. My son began to teach it from the moment in which he was conceived in my womb. For already then he began to suffer, and as soon as he was born into the world, he and I banished by Herod into a desert, and his sufferings continued until he died on the cross." I also labored to the end of my life, as thou wilt be informed more and more in the writing of this history. Since, therefore, we suffered so much for creatures and for their salvation, I desire thee to imitate us in this conformity of the divine will, as being his spouse and my daughter. Suffer with a magnanimous heart, and labor to increase the possessions of thy Lord and Master, namely souls, which are so precious in his sight and which he has purchased with his life-blood. Never shouldst thou fly from labors, difficulties, bitterness, and sorrows, if by any of them thou canst gain a soul for the Lord, or if thou canst thereby induce it to leave the path of sin and enter the path of life. Let not the thought that thou art so useless and poor, or that thy desires and labor avail but little discourage thee, since thou canst not know how the Lord will accept of them, and in how far he shall consider himself served thereby. At least thou shouldst wish to labor assiduously, 
and eat no unearned bread in his house. Proverbs 31.27 This concludes our reading today for day number 171. We've been reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 21, Paragraphs 613 to 618. In today's reading, we hear that Joseph and Mary arise in the middle of the night. They take the Christ child, they pack everything up, and they begin their journey to Egypt. But notice when they begin this journey. They departed shortly after midnight and hastened without delay on their journey. Now, midnight, significant for a few different reasons. Midnight, because it's in darkness. What is happening in Jerusalem through King Herod and this order, there is darkness. And so in the dark of night, the light of the world, Jesus himself, is now leaving from this darkness and is going to be in a new place. Midnight, it's the beginning of a new day. And so as Jesus flees into Egypt with his parents, Joseph and Mary, it's a new day for them. It's a new chapter. And so midnight, that's significant. A lot of times in the Gospels, notice what happens at night. Deceptive things happen in the middle of the night. And then Maria Vagrida addressed in our reading today, I think a question a lot of people who read the scriptures, who study them, who know the stories about the four evangelists and why certain evangelists include this or that. Personally, I think some of these events are related to St. Luke, for example, by the Blessed Mother with whom he conversed and has first-hand knowledge then from Our Lady herself. But it is curious why Our Lady would not relate the flight into Egypt, for example, to St. Luke and have St. Luke include that, as St. Luke includes the visitation to Elizabeth and all of these intimate moments in the life of the Blessed Virgin. But we heard today kind of an explanation about why certain things are related by certain evangelists and not others. And then we heard about free will, that God permits certain things. God permits Herod to do this. God permits so many idolatries, heresies, and other sins. For this reason, he permitted the crime of Judas and all those which followed in the sufferings and the crucifixion of Christ. Certainly, he could have prevented all these sins, and yet would not, not only because he wished to work our redemption, but also in order that he might secure to man freedom of his will in all his actions. God permits these things. God could have stopped them, yes, but he permits them because he wants us to choose to live the good life. He wants us to choose to renounce sin and to live the gospel message. Jesus invites, and it's up to us to say, Yes, Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. I wish to follow you. It's the freedom of our will. Faced with temptation to sin, the Lord Jesus wants us to choose not to sin, not to acquiesce to whatever the temptation is. The works of the Lord are just and holy in all particulars, although we do not always see the reasons why they are so. But we shall come to know them in the Lord when we shall see him face to face. We always have different questions. God, why did you allow this to happen? And Maria Vagrida 
in paragraph 616 today says, We do not always see the reasons why they are so, but we shall come to know them in the Lord when we see him face to face. That's something I always think about. When I see the Lord and I give a just account of my life, and then hopefully he says to me, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come share your master's joy. I will be able to speak with the Lord and see him face to face. I speak to him in my prayer here on earth, but one day I will see him face to face. And what will you ask him? What burning question is on your heart that only the God of the universe could answer? I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you. And Mary pray for you.